Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics and the Trump presidency for the New Spectator USA website. I'm joined today by the great Josh Glancy, who is a Washington correspondent for the Sunday Times, uh, the British Sunday Times. And we're going to be talking about the Democrats and asking how bad their anti-Semitism problem really is. And I'd just like to apologise for the sound quality, which is uh, a little strange. uh, And that's because we had a technical problem. So the audio that you're hearing is our backup recording. Uh, Sorry about that. We'll we'll get it right next time. Uh, Josh, you and I as Brits will look instantly at parallels with Jeremy Corbyn. I think we should get on to that. But first of all, let's just look at what's going on with the Democrats at the moment and this House resolution to um, sort of really force a lot of their more radical members who seem to be flirting with uh, certainly a sort of hard anti-Zionism, bordering on anti-Semitism, to force those members, those uh, Congress people, to denounce anti-Semitism specifically. And this has just been delayed so that they can have a sort of what seems to be a fudge measure of adding Islamophobia into the the list of um, unacceptable points of view. What what do you think is going on there? What's going on you know, it's the divide that we've seen play out in politics more broadly, which is there is a resurgent progressive left in the Democratic Party, and there is an establishment moderate wing of the party, and the establishment wing is in control. But a lot of the attention, a lot of the energy is focused on the progressive wing, and particularly... A lot of the votes. And a lot of the votes, mm. and, you know, a lot of the door knockers, and, and that's where... The focus is right now, and with this debate, it's on Ilhan Omar, who is a 36-year-old fresh freshman congresswoman, is how they say it, and from Minnesota. She just got elected to the House, and she's not taking any prisoners, shall we say. Yeah. Uh, she's, she's saying what she thinks about Israel, and it's ruffling a lot of feathers, but it's playing into this broader struggle for the soul of the party. Yeah. So there's a lot of progressives that maybe don't care about Israel that much or don't see it as a priority, but they're taking Omar's side because they see it as the establishment trying to censor a young Muslim woman. What's the worst thing she said? So there are two things. She said about two weeks ago, she tweeted about how the, the, core, the reason for America's enduring support of Israel was all about the Benjamins. Yes. So basically implying that it was just Jewish money that specifically APAC money, which APAC's the sort of uh, right-wing Jewish Zionist lobbying organisation in America, implying that that was the reason for American support for Israel. No common uh, ideology, no common sense of the world, you know, any number of reasons why that alliance exists. Can we be sure that it was quite as anti-Semitic as a lot of people are making it out to be? I mean, do you think she deliberately said Benjamin because it's a Jewish name? No, Benjamin's is, is Benjamin Franklin. Yeah, I, but yeah. do you think she was playing on... No. No, because I've, I've read people say that no. that's what she was doing. So with uh, any debate around this, as we've seen in England, you have to cut through a lot of noise and mm. a lot of hysteria on both sides. And no, I don't think she was making a pun on Benjamin's, and I don't... Uh, I think what she was saying then, you can make a... I think it was crude and arguably anti-Semitic in its crudeness. But I think you can extrapolate from it a proper debate about APEC does spend a lot of money on primary uh, candidates in America. APEC does have a very, arguably outside, certainly very large influence 
on candidates. Now, there's lots of reasons for that, and it's not just money. Mm. Although the, the ability to spend and lobby quite heavily is 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 a factor, isn't it? Sure. Yeah. But so, you know, in a pro-Israel sentiment in America, I mean, evangel- evangelical voting block in America is vast, as you know, yeah. and they're all pro-Israel, more so than a lot of the Jews at times. Yes. So it's a lot more nuanced than she presented it as. She got sentenced for that and she did apologise. Fast forward two weeks and she was at an event in DC, the Politics and Prose Bookshop, and she said, I want to talk about the political influence in this country that says it is okay for people to push for allegiance to a foreign country. Now, that is widely seen to draw on what they call the dual loyalty trope. Mm. So this idea that Jews are loyal to Israel ahead of America, this idea that um, that they're kind of somehow tricking or finagling America into support for Israel, which isn't even in its own interest, yeah. through money or through trickery or through just you know lobbying or whatever. So I think she's in murkier waters with this one. And yeah. that's the comment that has now sparked this uh, resolution in the House of Representatives. And I mean, well, let's, let's talk about it more broadly in the sense that uh, I was at CPAC last week. Mm. And there is it's a a riot every day (laughs) a riot, Uh, and there is there's a lot of Israel discussion Mm. on the stage, and a lot of very sort of you know my favourite metaphor was uh, an elderly Israeli former statesman I think uh, I didn't catch his name um, said the uh, American quarterback can always trust that the Israeli wide receiver will catch the ball. (laughs) In the end zone, I, I mean, think he was audience. Clearly, it was a very well calculated uh, metaphor. But uh, I think, apart aside from that, there was also these people who were being uh, blocked from entering CPAC, who were mm. kind of the radical right, mm. um, the kind of V-Dare crowd. Sure, and they were outside, basically haranguing, you know, CPAC and the American Conservative Union for being sort of shills of Israel, basically. Mm. So you you definitely have this within both, sure, within, across the American political world. You do both, and, both and wings. Anyway. If you go far, I mean, if you go far enough, if you go far enough in either direction, someone's blaming the Jews. I mean, that's a good rule of thumb. But uh, yeah, there's plenty of anti-Semitism on the right, and and you know many defenders of Ilhan Omar, you know, engaged in fairly significant whataboutery to point that out, and it's not wrong to point that out. Uh, Mehdi Hassan, our old friend wrote a uh, you know stirring column about all the iniquities on the anti-Semitic right, and, and they're all there. But that yeah. doesn't mean... He does stir the blood, doesn't he? Well, it's interesting with Hassan, because he, one of the best... Well, the best thing, in my view, he's ever written was an honest accounting of Islamic anti-Semitism in Britain. Yeah, I mean, he wrote it for the yeah. States from about five years ago. But he seems to have veered off that a little bit in the Trump era. <laughs> and that's the problem, is that people... You, you know, you have to hold competing truths on this issue. Yeah. You, it has it has to be true that there is a bigotry and anti-Semitism problem on the right in some areas, but there's also one on the left, and you have to be able to take, call out both. Otherwise, you're just playing partisan football. But then we get let's let's talk about Corbyn now mm. because that's what we're, we're yeah. going to be most comfortable <laughs> talking about. I mean, then we get into the situation you have with Corbyn, where Corbynistas will say. You know, we're not allowed to criticise mm. Israel without being called anti-Semitic. Mm. And there is some truth to that. There is some truth to it. It's also, by the way, not that hard to criticise Israel and not be anti-Semitic. You need to learn about it. 
Yeah. But I do it all the time. <laughs> Admittedly, I, I'm Jewish, so it's, it's coming from a slightly different place, but... A self-hating place. Well, yeah. <laughs> no, I always say that, uh, it's wrong to call Jews like that self-hating, because it's actually, they rather like themselves as all the other Jews. <laughs> but, um, I, you know, it, it is possible to do it. Um, now, there is, a lot, there, are, there is a lot of crime war, undoubtedly. You know, Jews are neurotic about this stuff for good historical reason. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there is also a lot of genuine anti-Semitism and there's not been a good effort on the left to educate, for people to educate themselves, and we're talking about the corner there, about what is and isn't anti-Semitism. You know, they just, they just throw up their hands and say, well, I was just trying to criticise Israel. Yeah. It's an incredibly thorny subject. Jewish diasporic relations with Israel are a naughty, naughty thing. I don't think Jews are open enough about it at the time, but there hasn't been a proper effort on the left to understand the nuances of it. So they just throw up their hands and say, "Oh, well, you can't criticize Israel." You know, it's it's they're just shutting down free speech and trying to get Jeremy Corbyn and Jeremy Corbyn becoming prime minister. Well, some people are doing that. And um, I mean, thinking about Omar again, I mean, and the Corbynistas are keen to do it as well. You know, they always say we condemn all. We can, we can demonstrate Islamophobia, we can demonstrate homophobia, we can demonstrate anti-Semitism. But Islamophobia and anti-Semitism are not the same thing, are they? Well, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, they're not actually, they're not actually sort of uh, com- directly comparable because one's about a, a racial hatred and one is about a religious hatred. You, you, can, you can be anti-Catholic and you can be Islamophobic. That's similar. Yeah, I mean, you get into quite uh, choppy waters here because... If you're talking about, say, the really quite vile poster that was put up in West Virginia last week about Ilhan Omar, mm. and it was a picture of the Twin Towers on 9-11, and saying, you said, you know, you said you'd never forget this, and then a picture of her in a headscarf, she shows you've forgotten. Yeah. There was a big hoo-ha in West Virginia about it, but it's pretty clear that there's some racial animus embedded in that, to my mind. That isn't just about objecting to, you know, the hadiths of the Quran. That's also about, to me, about a young woman of colour who is ruffling people's feathers. Yes. And the sight of a, a woman wearing a headscarf in Congress is, is upsetting people, some people in West Virginia, for example. When, and if you look at, uh, you know, what, what's going on in Minneapolis, there's a sort of these uh, slightly extreme right-wing uh, grifter hacks, I call them, mm. uh, are going to Minneapolis and putting on like bulletproof vests and pretending that they're in, because there's a huge Somalian community yes. there, that they're going undercover to discover the sort of Sharia is happening in America and that sort of thing. And there's undoubtedly a, a definite animus about Muslims there. Yeah. But again, I would say, you know, while the Americans sort of do have their own version of this, it's not, it's not a very good parallel with anti-Semitism, I don't think. Anti-Semitism is, is, is in many ways a unique type of hatred. It's very durable. It's very flexible. It both elevates and derives its subjects. The Jews are both all-powerful and... Uh, you know, rats and vermin. Yeah. Um, it's often it's just a way of seeing the world, and this is where the Corbynite left has got into problems, and this is where I think the intersectional left in America is getting into problems. Which is, if you see the world in a conspiratorial way, if you think there are dark powers, dark financial powers out there rigging the game, um, preventing you know a happy sunlit meadow society and equality for all. It's not a big step to get from that to blaming 
the Jews because that's what people have always done. Yeah. Well, once you start going down that path, you often end up. Well, yes, I saw there was that video. I don't know who it is. It's a British group. Uh, is it, it Navarro Media or some sort of momentum linked group have done a kind of Vox style video yes. about uh, if you see a Rothschild. Yeah. thing on the internet that's definitely not Navarra call it that's okay. <laughs> it was momentum who, who it was momentum so they're trying to they're trying to sort of clean up uh, clean up their stable well, as it were momentum is let's not forget uh, you know it's a pretty mixed there's lots of different types of people in momentum it's run yeah. by John Landsman who is you know, Jewish and, and yes and he's proud. had his own battles right he has yeah. it was, um, so yeah they, they, I so you think Navarro good. people would say if you see a Rothschild meeting on the internet they're onto I don't know, something. You have to ask Aaron Bastani, but I don't think he's making <laughs> videos trying to sort of bridge bridge the divide. We, we shall we shall ask him at some point. Um, but no, the question that's being asked here now is: to what extent is what's happening here mirroring what's happening in England? What's happened with the Labour Party? There's been a lot of sort of slightly tortured op-eds in the last few days about that, mm. and there are some interesting parallels. What's the what what are the what are the ways in which they're different? Do you think the the American yes. anti-Semitism problem and the British one so within the left? I think the British one is. I mean, the British one is far more profound. Uh, you know, uh, Ilhan Omar is one young congresswoman. Admittedly, she's got a big social media presence, but you know, she's which is only getting bigger with all these right. rounds. Right? She's she's what you might call the Naz Shah sort of outlet. I don't mean that because they're both Muslim, but it's, it's a young woman who's fresh to you know fresh to that this stage of politics who's expressing some pretty sketchy animus. And Nasra went on a learning curve, unlike her party. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we'll see what Ilhan Omar does. I think she's open to talking about it, but I think she's under so much attack right now. Um, but anyway, to your question, what's different? Jews, are, I mean, the establishment is still in control of the Democratic Party. Yeah. Nancy Pelosi, Steny Hoyer, Chuck Schumer. And Jews are more powerful, not just, I don't mean that in any sinister anti-Semitic way, I just mean in the sense there are more Jews in America, there are proportionally more Jews. Proportionally more Jews. Uh, there's, more, there's more Jewish money in America, sure. actually. Yeah. And, you know, New York is, the, is the, ultimately the heart of the Democratic Party, and, you know, it's in many ways a Jewish town. Yeah. So, and the media is, you know, <laughs> Let's talk about the ways in which they're similar. And, mm. and I think the one similar thing, and I, I may be completely off, off the ball here, but I think it's that the anti-anti-Semitism will kind of fail. So I think in with Corbyn, the more kind of heated the media got about things like the, you know, the mural that Corbyn had supposedly given his approval to or whatever, the more a lot of people sort of shrugged and thought, so what? And the more people who were inclined to think sort of nasty thoughts about Jews, yeah. thought, well, it's true, they do kind of control the media. Right. So I think you might have a similar dynamic going on in America where it becomes these very flashpoint media stories. You get the real kind of sense it's a talking point on, you know, the right and for the New York Times. And then everybody else goes, oh, it's just the media, you know, it's not that bad. She didn't watch, she, oh, she said what she said, Benjamin Franklin. Mm. It's true that the anti-Semitism debate in England seems to have brought a lot of wavering anti-Semites yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> into, out into the open, which is always... Crashing cool. down. Yeah. Um, yes, I think given the partisan nature of Americans, American society is more polarised than, uh, than British politics. So I think if this becomes a political football, and, and it kind of already is because you're seeing the right is, you know, every Trump downwards is tweeting about it all the time. Yeah. Um, you're going to get a lot of doubling down. People, you know, who might 
actually be open to a debate about this, thinking, well, if I'm seeing this level of attack on one lone hijab-wearing congresswoman, mm. if you're progressive, you know, you kind of know where your bread's buttered. Well, and, and Ilan Omar now has more fans than she ever could have done a right. month ago. Yeah. yeah. Well, as, as Rashida Tlaib, her colleague and friend, said, she's, you know, she compared it to a civil rights icon, which I think is probably a bit of a stretch. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> that's, in some quarters, how she will now be perceived as taking on these vested interests and standing up for what's right. And more broadly, how do you think the anti-Semitism ties into the other currents that are popular among these sort of radicals, you know, so like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and the, mm. the war on Amazon? Because it is really a sense that sort of capitalism is broken mm. and there's always a sort of a link to saying capitalism is messed up, saying, oh, that's because the Jews are, are running it. There are still gonna, there's always going to be some people who will, who will make that jump. I've not seen anything from Ocasio-Cortez to trouble me. I mean... She could obviously be stronger in condemning her friend. Yeah. But I'm not, I, you know, not least if you ever go to a Cassio Cortez's constituency. She, she yeah. can't afford to be too far out on this issue. Yeah. She's the congresswoman for Queens and Brooklyn. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think the real root of this, uh, and sorry, I don't want to sound like a bit of Andrew Sullivan here, but the real root of this go is, for it. <laughs> is, is a lot of it is about intersectionality. And it's about this kind of hierarchy of privileges. And the sense on the left and parts of the left is that the Jews have become a privileged class. And that therefore someone like Ilhan Omar, in fact, almost can't be anti-Semitic. I mean, she could be if she really pushed it. But because she is from an unprivileged class, she's a woman of colour, she's a Muslim. And she's attacking APAC or vested interests. Yeah. Whereas obviously, you know, if you know any Jews, you know that in their they may come across as successful and, and settled and whatever, but in their hearts, it's always 1933. Yeah. So she, they don't respond to this in the way that she might expect kind of rich, powerful people to. Yeah. Obviously not all Jews are rich and powerful, but they respond to it as scared, you know, fresh off the boat immigrants. Yeah. Well, I'm Germanizing quite crudely here, but I think you No, I get, I get the drift, yeah. But I mean, I suppose my fogeyish reaction to that would be this is where inter- intersectionality okay. gets you. Mm. You know, it's always going to lead to tribalism and an, and an accentuation of hatreds between groups. And that, that's exactly what's happening. Yeah, it's where intersectionality has gone, which is, and maybe that was inevitable, I, I don't know the theory well enough, really, but it's... it's well, it's just a load of rubbish, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, like a lot of these things, I think it's the kernel of a good idea that gets taken vastly out of proportion. But it creates a hierarchy of, um, of privilege, and it... The debate now, there was a debate a few years ago, you know, are Jews white? Yeah. And the conclusion of the intersectional left is absolutely they are. Yeah. And the Jews are sort of saying, well, actually, no, we're Jews. It's a whole, yeah. it's a whole other story. How long have you got? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, so there is a feeling that, you know, if, 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 you're, if you're progressive and you're having to choose between Omar and APAC, well, then that's a no-brainer, isn't it? Yeah. It doesn't matter what she said. And looking ahead to... 2020, how big an issue do you think this is going to be in the campaign? You can already see uh, Trump is is talking about it, um, and certainly the Republicans see it as a way of trying to split the Democrats, because obviously mm. it's going to be very hard for the Democrats to lose their Jewish vote, you know, and, and m- m- more so than in Britain, I think. Yeah, they have a much, much bigger and more committed uh, Jewish support than yeah. the Labour Party in Britain had been losing Jewish support for uh, decades. Yeah, and it's just really 
he was the kind of not even the nail in the coffin, he was the sort of anvil. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it's a wedge, definitely a wedge issue, and they know the Republicans know that. How big will it be? And also, there's far more Muslims in uh, Britain proportionally than there are yes. in America. I think so. If yeah. you look at, you know, electorally, being anti-Jewish isn't a vote loser with with a lot mm. of Muslim communities. Mm. Um, but that's not that's not in play in America. Uh, not, in the, not nothing like to the same extent, yeah. but it is true that the progressive movement, which you know, is resurgent. It's doing a lot of the door knocking. It's where a lot of the policy ideas are coming from. A lot of those volunteers and activists are not going to tolerate Nancy Pelosi taking the side of APAC as they see it against mm. Ilhan Omar or the Duke, you know. So it could get very difficult. You have another fascinating possibility, which is Bernie Sanders wins the Democratic nomination, and then you have a very progressive but also very Jewish yeah. uh, presidential candidate. Democratic Party. So that's yes. again interesting. Well, that's another reason why I think his candidacy is very likely to be successful is that he he can solve that issue in ways that other people can't. Potentially, I mean, he could also get tripped up by it pretty hard. Um, I think probably I think Bernie is anti-Israel, but not in the way Corbyn is. Maybe because yeah. you know his roots, but um, I think he's he's critical of Israel, but not in that kind of slightly monomaniacal way. Yeah, that's frankly. No, he doesn't see it as a sort of uh, a global conspiracy. In right. Way. It's, yeah. just, it's just a country that, you know, is kind of right wing nowadays and behaves in ways that you know, he wouldn't approve of. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, maybe he could be a bridge. I mean, it's a little bit speculative, but it's, <laughs> it's probably going to come his way. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting. He started his campaign talking much more. He's trying to flesh out his personal narrative, which is what they felt he was bad at. Yes. In 2016. And his personal narrative is he's, you know, Holocaust survival and, yeah. you know, Philip Roth's New York yeah. um, back in the sort of, you know, wartime era. And so... Well, he has a very, almost, you know, he has a wonderfully Jewish way of talking, right? It's, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a, Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I once interviewed his brother, the <laughs> Green Party councillor in uh, Oxford. Oh, uh, yes. Larry Sanders, who's a bit older, probably approaching 90 now. Uh, and he's been living in Oxford for God knows how long, but he's straight out of Brooklyn I'm so proud of Bernie. <laughs> My parents could see us today. I mean, just wonderful. It's very rich yeah. an accent that just sort of made me feel made me feel warm inside. Well, actually, you just reminded me that I once um, uh, saw Bernie Sanders in, I think it was in New Hampshire. And uh, I went up to him and said, um, you know, I, I hear you're, because there's been a lot of reports about mm. like, the connection between him and Corbyn. Mm. And I said, hey, you're really close to Jeremy Corbyn. He said, who? <laughs> I was like, I've got no idea what you're talking about. But I'm going to put it down to him not hearing me or my accent or something. Because then his wife very stepped in and went, oh, we think he's wonderful. You know, all that. I think, you know, they do, they do like Corbyn. They do. But I think that's, maybe it's been more among the movements than the two men themselves, actually. Yeah, I don't think it's a bromance. Yeah. And I don't think AOC and Corbyn are likely to get that close either. Despite their Twitter exchange of Twitter affection. Yeah, I think there's, there's, but it's quite superficial. Yeah. But I think on the movement level, there's been much more. Yes. Uh, well, Corbyn Easter's went over and helped in the, the Sanders campaign, didn't they? And, and then vice versa. I really... Sanders then came back and helped Momentum in 2017. Okay, yeah, yeah. You know, sort of organising techniques and, and all that sort of thing. There's a lot of back and forth. Yeah. We've got off anti-Semitism, but maybe we'll stop it there. Uh, sure. Uh, thank you very much, Josh, for joining us. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. me. 
That's it for this episode. Thank you very much for listening. I'd encourage you all to go to iTunes and rate and review us. And please be as kind as you possibly can. I'd be very grateful. Also want to tell you about a new offer. If you go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher, you'll see that you can get a £20 John Lewis voucher if you subscribe to our 12 issues for £12 subscription offer for the magazine. That's a pretty good deal, and I would take it.